Thank you for listening to Christian Challenge at K-State's podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, follow us on Instagram or visit our website. Hope you enjoy this episode. Well, good evening. It's good to see you this evening. I was so encouraged as I walked around this afternoon, the beautiful weather. Were you able to enter into the joy of the sunshine? Simple pleasures, simple ordinary gifts of friendship and uh, camaraderie and sports and coffee and sunshine. I was just encouraged to walk around and see you all uh, enjoying that this afternoon. This evening's message is entitled, Out of the Depths, The Beauty of Hope and the gospel in a broken world, out of the depths. We started our conference this morning thinking about a broken world, not necessarily beauty. The conference is beauty. We started out with brokenness. And we said that Ecclesiastes 1 through 2 is really a record of brokenness. It's a world broken by sin and corruption, rebellion against God. And now this life that we live under the sun is unfulfilling It's a pursuit of what is futile and often broken, the pursuit of the wind. And this brokenness, I'm not sure that I was clear this morning, I think we talked a little bit about it in Genesis, but this brokenness is because of sin. Plain and simple, sin has wreaked havoc. Solomon has been giving us this story in Ecclesiastes. And now that Eden is corrupted, we're all trying to get back to Eden, we're trying to recover Eden. I mean, Paul said that this morning when we mentioned Romans chapter 8, that the whole creation is subjected to futility. We're living in a world that is groaning under the weight of sin, and we're trying to get back to the garden. And so the question is, where is the beauty? Where is the hope? In this broken world, in your broken world, we saw what Solomon tried to do. He pursued pleasure. He pursued wealth. He pursued wisdom pursued work. And what was his conclusion to all of these? He said, it's all vanity. There was nothing to be gained. And I hated life. Some of you have been hurt by life in one way or another. I hated work, the work that I did. I have to give it to someone else. It's similar to what we hear in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, where Jeremiah speaks of cisterns, broken cisterns. He says this, My people have committed two evils, for they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. So we pursue these pleasures and wealth and wisdom and work and all of this that are broken, and they can hold no water. And so we are here finding ourselves tonight in the depths. So out of the depths I have cried to you. What do you do when you find yourself in the depths? I don't know if the Lord has been speaking to you from this morning's message. There's something ringing in your heart, ringing in your soul, in your mind about what has been said from His Word. Perhaps you're finding yourself 
in the depths, and you realize that it's not just your circumstances. It's not just what's on the external, but it's what's inside. What do you do when you are confronted with your own sin? So I want us to look tonight in Psalm 130. If you take your Bibles, turn to Psalm 130. This will be our text for this evening. It's a short psalm. Have you ever been a place where you have been overwhelmed? Talk about being in the depths. You're in a situation where you are so overwhelmed you don't know what to do. So several years ago, I wanted to get some side income. I have a normal job, but then I I wanted to get some side income. And so I looked around my hometown and I found that there's this interesting opening for a part-time position in a nursery, in a, in a landscaping uh, nursery type situation. I thought, well, this is a garden center. This would be great. Make some side income, sell a few flowers. How, how hard can this be? And so I interviewed, got the job. I said, I already got a job, but I just, I'm doing this for some side income. And uh, he said, that's great. You can work Friday. I just work Fridays, just one day a week, Fridays. And I was supposed to kind of work in the retail space. But he said, well, how would you like to be more on the landscaping side, doing installations like trees and shrubs and rock and all this? I thought, well, that can't be too bad, can it? I said, sure. I, I mean, I'm kind of old. So I thought, I told him, I said, will this work? I'm kind of old. He said, I think you'll be fine. So I said, I'll, I'll do it. So one day, <clears throat> I do it for several weeks. It's fine. I plant a few shrubs. It's no big deal. One day I show up to work, and he says, well, everybody's gone. You're it, and uh, I need you to plant a bunch of trees today. And I had never actually planted trees, and we're not talking tr- saplings. We're talking trees, and some of you are, maybe are in horticulture, the arbor vitae. They're the, the shrubbery that stands this tall. They're about 60, 70 pounds apiece, and they're, they're burlap uh, root balls and all this, and and, and you've got to take the pickup, and you've got to take the, uh, the trailer, and you've got to hook it up, and you've got to use the, they call it a dingo, and it's this machine that you use to dig the hole, and you've got to plant. And it was about 99 degrees that day, and I had, and they said, I don't think you're going to have any help. You're going to be on your own. And the, <laughs> we're talking about one of the trees was this big. The, the, the root ball was this big. It, it, there was no way a, a person can handle it. And then I had a, another job that I had to do three or four other trees, 100 degrees, we, well, I don't think you have any help. Well, we'll get you some help. We got this young guy, high school kid, and I, to this day, I think he was an angel. I don't think he's really real. I, and I'm saying that, and I'm, I actually think he was angel because he I partly saved my life this day. I asked you if you've ever been in a place where you've been overwhelmed. So 99 degrees, hot is hot, humid, Missouri. I bring some water. This kid, his name's Davison. He's a high school kid. He's not built any bigger than I am. Here we are. We're going to go plant trees. And they're heavy, and it's hot. And the, the guy who sold the job didn't know that the trees were planted in somebody's, they were planted in somebody's backyard. Well, this backyard was three tiers high of climbing steps to the back. And I had to carry these trees up these stairs with Davison. <laughs> All afternoon, we ran out of water. I, I, I got to the point where I couldn't even, and I'm not kidding you, I could not think straight. I, I didn't know what I was doing. I was delirious. 
I thought, and this sounds funny, I thought that I was going to die. And Davison was, you know, he's a young kid. He was, he was doing his thing, and he kind of was worried about me. We ran a water. I'm sharing my water with him. And I'm, I'm thinking, this is it. This is a side job. I'm like a Friday job, and I'm going to die planting trees. It's, it's over. I really think he was an angel. I don't know how we finished the last job. I really don't. We had a great conversation at lunch. I, I mean, I don't, it was, a, it, was a, it was the worst day of my life that I can remember in the last three years. And I thought I would die. And, and somehow I'm, I'm standing here before you. But in, there were moments of that day that I, that I was so overwhelmed. Physically, mentally, I was praying to God. Like, I did not want to die doing this seemingly small thing. Now, that's kind of a funny illustration. But I want you to take that thought. I want you to think about a time when you have been so overwhelmed with life, the circumstance, with something going on in your life, whether it's mentally, emotionally, where your heart is broken, where you're overwhelmed and you think you might die. Psalm 130, verse 1. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should Mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in His word I hope, my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love and with Him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This is a song of ascent, Psalm 130, a song of moving up, ascending up. It's what it says here at the beginning, a song of ascent. It means they're going up. We don't know exactly what they were going up. They may have been going up to Jerusalem. But it is a song that goes from lament and despair to hope. That's what I want to do with you tonight. Go from the brokenness and the overwhelmingness to hope, to truth, to gospel. Whatever the psalmist's exact situation, we don't know, but we know that he's in the depths. This word is often used as the sea, the water, the ocean, the watery depths. Sometimes used uh, thinking of the sea as an unsettling place. Back in the ancient times, the sea was unsettling. It was mysterious. It was stormy. It was unpredictable. And the author is in trouble. And he's crying out from the depth. Sometimes this word depth is even talked about the underworld, the depths of Sheol. Back in the Old Testament, they talked about Sheol. And what's his problem? Is he about to die because he's planting trees? What was, why is he crying out from the depths? Is it some circumstance that he's in? What does it say? What's the text say? Look at verse 3. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? 
His situation is not financial. His situation is not landscaping. Situation is not relational per se, human relations. Situation is sin. That's the context. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Notice this cry is a great cry. Do you wish that when you read, I appreciate what Melody was saying as we talk about reading Scripture. As you read Scripture, do you wish that you could audibly hear it sometimes? Like, what is, what's, how, what is the voice of this psalm? What's happening as he speaks this? Like, out of the, out of the depths I've cried to you. We, we don't hear it. We have to kind of replicate it in our own mind. It's a verbal cry. Notice the repetition. He says voice twice in verse 2. Hear my voice. Be attentive to the voice of my pleas. Voice. He's vocalizing this. This is not an internal prayer. He's not just a heart prayer. He's crying out to the Lord. It's not a safe cry in a silent place. The word kara, that's the word, the Hebrew word for cry. And this is not just a generic call, okay, when this word is used, kara. It's a, it's a specific call. It's a call to get the attention of somebody. Like, listen up, hear me. Trying to get the attention it's a specific call. It's not a vague, like, God, if you're out there. It's not a vague, general plea. If there's a God in heaven, I mean, if you're really out there, God, maybe. This is, that's not it. It's not what's happening. He's calling on the God of the Bible. Look at verse 1. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Notice how Lord, in most of your Bibles, it's all capitals. That's Lord Yahweh. That's one name of God. But look at the very next verse in verse 2. O Lord looks differently as it's written. That's Adonai. He's using proper names of God as he speaks. I'm crying out to a specific, the specific God. The, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yahweh Adonai. And he's saying, hear my voice, O God. Be attentive. Listen to me. There's this earnestness. There's this pleading with God. Petition. He's in the depths. And the context indicates, as we said, that the depths that he's re- his reality is his sin. Verse 3, if you should mark iniquities. That word mark is important. Look at it. If you should mark iniquities. The word means to keep watch over, to keep watch over, to keep track of, to observe, to watch over. Oh Lord, if you would watch over, if you observe, if you keep track of my iniquities, oh Lord, who could stand? And he's saying, no one can endure Standing before Yahweh Adonai if what He is doing at this very moment is keeping track of my sin and marking and watching over every sin. There's no way I could endure. Lord, if You keep track of my sins, if You're making a list, if You're always observing them and You're watching over them, there's no way 
that I can endure. There's no way that I can stand in your holy presence. And so my cry, my great cry, is a cry for mercy. If you see that at the end of verse 2, it says, my plea for mercy. Some of yours might say help, but I think it's more appropriate to see it as mercy because the context is sin. And he needs mercy for his sin. He doesn't need help for his sin. He needs mercy for his sin. So let me ask you this question. And I kind of asked it initially, but what do you do? What do you do? What do you do when you recognize sin in your own life? How do you respond? If I can ask it another way, are you acquainted with your heart? And maybe that's a a brand new thing that you've never actually heard anybody say. What do you mean acquainted with my heart? Well, you were just singing it a second ago. Prone to wander. Anxious. You were verbalizing. You were verbalizing something that you were saying about your heart. Prone to wander. My anxious thoughts. Whether you know it or not, that's what you were doing. Are you acquainted with your heart? I'm a lot older than you. I've lived a lot longer. I've walked with the Lord a number of years longer than you have. And as I look at my life, and I look at my heart, and I know how my heart wanders from the things of God, my, I'm acquainted with my lack of zeal, my coldness, your coldness to the God of the universe, as Melody said, we get to meet with the God of the universe. Are you cold to that? I am. There are days that I'm cold to that. You feel that? My indifference to people who are dying and going to hell, my indifference to the lost, My coldness to Christ, my failure to trust God in everything. Were you singing those words and feeling those words? (laughs) Prone to wander? And if God, you're looking at that, if you're keeping track of that, the list is long, the record is long, and if they remain on the list, if you're making the list, it's going to get longer. And I am undone. And so where are you? Are you acquainted with your heart? You feel the gravity of that. But I love verse 4. Look at verse 4. But... You English majors, I love conjunctions. There's some really good conjunctions in the Bible. But with you, there is forgiveness. That you may be feared. With you, 
The idea there is, this is your nature, God. This is who you are with you. This is who you are. There is forgiveness. It's the psalmist's great comfort. He's preaching to himself. I'm asking you, when you're confronted with your sin, what do you do? The psalmist starts to preach to himself. He's saying, I know that with you, there is forgiveness. That's your nature. This is the one who forgives. He reminds himself that God is a forgiving God. Do you do that? God could easily keep track of and watch over and mark down and tally up all of my sins. But He doesn't. Because with you, there is forgiveness. Turn a few pages back. Psalm 103. Just a few pages. You want to see this. This is beautiful. We're thinking about beauty. Psalm 103. Look at verse 8. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. Verse 10, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, listen, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. With you, with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. What we're beginning to hear is hope. Hope filled, hope full language. There's a light in the depths. I told you that this psalm moves from lament and despair into hope, and that's where we're moving. Out of the depths I have cried to you, but I'm reminding myself that you are a God who forgives, that you may be feared. Even in the depths of my sin, even in my iniquity, I know that I can come to this God with whom there is forgiveness. There is hope. 1 John 1. You know 1 John 1, 8 through 10. If you don't, you must know this the rest of your life. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. But if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, that you may be feared. Verse 4, I'm back in, uh, in Psalm 130 if you want to go back there. That you may be feared, reverence, awe, worship. The old King James actually uses a different word here. The older version says that he is, this, this word fear is the word terrible. He is a terrible God, not in, the, in a bad sense, but he's terrible. He's almighty, strikes terror in a person's heart. And so in other words, you say that this God 
with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. In other words, what God is like this, this God, who does not wipe out his enemies, but rather forgives their sin. Is there any God like this? What God is like this who doesn't continually observe my sins and mark them down in the ledger? This should cause us to be awestruck in fear and wonder and worship. Fear on the one hand of sinning against this God and fear on the other hand of worship that this God forgives sin. Well, we move on. Verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His word I hope. This great anticipation with the comforting fact that God forgives sin, He continues to move upward in hope. My soul waits for the Lord. Notice He says this, waiting three times. I wait. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. My soul waits, verse 6, for the Lord more than watchmen in the morning. What is this waiting? Do you wait? You know what it means to wait for things. What does it mean to wait? This sort of hoping, this anticipation. There is an intensified form in this text here, this intensified eager anticipation. I'm waiting for the Lord. There's, there's body and soul in this waiting for the Lord. And I hope in Him. It's this expectant hope. What's He waiting for? With His whole being, in the immediate context, He's waiting for the Lord. I wait for the Lord. Verse 5. I wait for the Lord. The very depth of who He is, what He desires the most is the very presence, and we sing about this, the very presence and nearness of God Himself. What do you do in your sin? Do you run from God or do you run to God? The nearness of God is His hope in His sin because God is a God who forgives. But He's also comforted by the Word of God, verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His Word I hope. That's why this is so important. That's why time in His Word is so important. So you can be encouraged by His Word. This is His Word. I want the nearness and the presence of God, but I also want the Word of God. In my sin, when I cry out to Him from the depths. And look how he waits. He waits twice. He says in verse 6, more than watchmen, more than watchmen. What in the world is this? More than watchmen. More than watchmen. There's an actual play on words here. The word watch, and if you caught this, I said this earlier, more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. That's the same word as verse 3, if, O Lord, you should mark iniquities. Watchmen, same word, used slightly differently, the watchmen are those who are observing. They're marking. They're watching. You, you catch this? So a watchman on the tower, on the castle tower or the fortress tower, or the wall, he's watching. What are they doing? They're watching for enemies. They're watching for danger. If you're familiar with an ancient watchman, he's, he's a sentinel. He's stationed at the watchtower, at the lookout. He's standing. He's alert. He's aware ready to warn the town, ready to warn the fortress. 
But he's not doing it during the day, right? It's dark, and it's lonely, and it's cold. And it's hard to see the danger. It's not like they got these LED torch lights, right? He's got, he's got, a, he's got a flame. You can't see out there. There's no spotlights. There's got to be a bit of dread that this person is feeling on the watchtower. Watches were split up through the night. The last watch, the morning watch, the watchman for the morning. Here we have in verse 6, that was about 2 to 3 in the morning to sunrise. That's that morning watch. What are they watching for? Well, they're watching for danger. But I'll tell you what they're really watching for. They're watching for that first glimmer of light to peek over the horizon. Why? Because dawn has, the day has dawned, light has come, danger is over. He's fixing his gaze not on the darkness, not on the depths, not on his sin, but on the horizon. He's looking, he's watching, and I'm waiting for the Lord. I'm watching and I'm waiting more than a watchman waits for the morning. I'm waiting for the Lord. Is that your experience? It's a great anticipation. He's eagerly expectant upon the Lord. He's looking hard for the Lord with his very soul. And so he ends verses 7 and 8 with hope. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. He's imploring his people. So if you are an older believer, I mean older in the sense that you're 20 and not 19 or 18. And you can implore your people to hope in the Lord. Encourage those younger than you to hope in the Lord. That's what the psalmist is doing. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. He's, he's saying this, I'm trusting in the Lord. I've seen that He's good. I know that He's a God that forgives. He's not watching over your sin. Look to the Lord. I've been in the depths. I've looked to Him. Put your hope in God. Why? Because of His faithful love, verse 7. With the Lord there is steadfast love. Steadfast love. Not only is this God is a God who forgives, this God loves. <laughs> Steadfastly. And with him is plentiful redemption. Some of your versions at the end of verse 7 will say abundant redemption. One translation, I love the new English translation, says this, more than willing to deliver. There is abundant forgiveness. There's abundant redemption. God is more than willing to to deliver, plentiful, much, many, it's superlative, much redemption. The Lord's redemption of His people is great. The word could be used as ransom. The Lord purchased a people for Himself at great cost. Purchased His people out of slavery from their bondage to sin. There's great redemption and there's great pardon because of the great cost with which God may. And look at verse 8, and He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. 
all his iniquities. What do you do when you find yourself broken by sin? All his iniquities. The word iniquity carries with it several nuances depending on the context. It can mean sin itself, the, the sum total of past sins. It can mean guilt because of sin, that weightiness that you feel. It can mean the consequences of sin. And verse 8 says, He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. All of it. All of it will one day be redeemed. The sin, the guilt, the consequences. Full pardon, full deliverance. Fully paid. This is hope. This is beauty. This is beauty in the midst of brokenness. So is it possible to find this? Is it possible to embrace this? To take hold of this? The psalmist did. He found beauty in the forgiveness of sin. The fact that God does not mark iniquity. So, I return to the question and I conclude. What do you do when you are confronted with your sin? When you're confronted by your broken life, and let me ask a follow-up question. That was one question. I mean, there's two or three questions in there, but it's the same question. What do you do? You realize you're a sinner. You realize you've messed up. So how do you perceive God? in all of this. You, you, you're confronted with the fact that now I, yeah, I, I understand that I'm a sinner. The Holy Spirit has made that real to me. Now how do you perceive God in the midst of that? So, let me do this two ways. First, to those of you who are trusting in Christ right now. So, to the believer in Christ, united with Christ. Here's what you do. Let me recommend this. You preach to yourself. What do you do when you find out that you've sinned once again? You preach to yourself, just like the psalmist did. You tell yourself that the God that you follow, the God that you serve is a God of loving kindness and mercy who forgives. You preach to yourself. You preach to yourself that there is plentiful redemption in Christ. Abundant. That He is more than willing to deliver you, yes, once again. How do you perceive God in the way He distributes forgiveness? Is He miserly? Is He like Scrooge holding it back? Oh, You're asking for forgiveness again. Does He begrudge you when you come to Him? Asking for forgiveness? Absolutely not. Tell yourself, find in Him that there is redemption 
in abundance. Remind yourself that if you are in Christ, if you are trusting in Christ, that all your trespasses have been forgiven, all of your iniquities and the record of debt that stood against you has been nailed to the cross. This is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. Colossians 2. Colossians 2, starting in verse 13. Listen to this. And you, you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. What did He do? He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and He put them to open shame and He triumphed over them. Amen and amen. God is not marking your sins in order to hold them against you. He's not watching over them. That's the word that's used so many times in this. If you should mark iniquities, that record has been canceled. You think there's a list in heaven? It's, it doesn't exist. There is no list. If you're in Christ, it's all been taken care of on the cross. Look to the cross once again. That's what you do. Do you know that, believer? Do you know that? Do you know that? When you find yourself in sin as a believer, you go back to the gospel every time. You remind yourself of the gospel. Christ paid it all. Christ paid it all. It's taken care of on the cross. So you plead with your Savior out of the depths. You cry to Him just as the psalmist did. Out of the depths I have cried to you. You plead for His unfailing mercy. His ears are attentive to His children. He's listening. He desires to forgive. You have to believe it. You have to see it. You have to embrace that. But if you are not in Christ this evening, and I don't know, I've really enjoyed meeting those of you that I've met. It's been wonderful. I don't know most of you. I don't know where you are with the Lord. I don't know if you've ever actually trusted Christ as your Savior. If you've truly, in humility, bowed in submission to His Lordship, confessed Him as Lord. I don't know where you're at. And if you've never done that, if you've never actually repented of your sins and trusted Christ, you're, you're actually right here in verse 1. You are in the depths. That's, that's fact. You're really in the depths. You really are separated from God. And there really is a list. There, there actually really is a list. And no one can endure the presence of God with a record of sin. But I have good news for you. Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, came to put away sin by His sacrifice on the cross. And because He was crucified, and because He died and was buried, and on the third day He rose again, it's through this sacrifice that anyone who puts their faith in Christ, who turns from their sin 
and trusts him will have that record wiped clean. There will be no record if you trust Christ. That's the gospel. That's the beauty of living in a broken world that we can be knowing God through Christ because of what He has done. If you call out to Him, your sins will be wiped clean. You will be forgiven. And you will take part in the abundant redemption that God gives. Plentiful redemption. It's here. Can I plead with you? If you've never trusted Christ, today is the day. Today is the day of salvation. So call out to Him from the depths. The only remedy to the brokenness of this world, the brokenness of your life, the brokenness of my life, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I said this morning that a true understanding of this world, a true understanding of who you are, can only come with a right relationship with God. It's a proper understanding, a pro- pro- being properly aligned with who God is, thinking God's thoughts after Him, having God's perspective of life and reality. The only people that can do that are people that you are united to God through Christ. The right relationship with God. True, bu- true beauty in this broken world, the truly beautiful one. If you want to talk about beauty, you look to Jesus, the most beautiful, infinitely beautiful. Have you seen Christ as truly beautiful? His kindness to you. We talk about the hand of God. I'm going to talk about that a lot this week. The hand of God and the beauty of Christ given to you. Do you know that the gospel is God's infinite kindness to you? Infinite kindness to you. Will you trust Him? If you've never trusted Him, will you trust Him? And if you are trusting Him, would you relish in all that He's done for you? Would you turn your heart and your thoughts once again to loving Christ because of His kindness to you? As he's opened your eyes, as he opened the eyes of Lydia in Acts 16, opened your eyes to see the beauty of Christ. Are you just relishing that? Like, Lord, you've done that for me. How wonderful. You're worthy of worship. So I'm going to pray and ask the worship team to come back up, and we will worship together. Lord, thank you for Psalm 130. That in the depths of our brokenness, we see a picture and a pattern of crying out to you. And I pray for these students this evening. I pray for all in this room, adults, staff, everyone, that when we're confronted with our sin, that we would once again live in the gospel, that we would look to you, trusting once again all of the provision that Christ has given us on the cross. We thank you, Lord, for your kindness to us. Father, favor us as we continue to worship you in spirit and in truth. Be with us tonight, this evening as we're in our family groups. Help us uh, as we share with one another that you would bless that time as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.